Today's scripture reading is from Mark 15, 1 to 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate asked him again, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in in the insurrection, there was a man named Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This is God's true word. The filmmaker Ken Burns, maybe his most well-known documentary was The Civil War. That was released, I think, in the early 90s. Great filmmaker. I think what put Ken Burns on the map was the Civil War documentary. While being interviewed, Ken Burns said that while he and his team were producing that documentary, uh, they they all became extremely grieved as they were producing uh, the segment of their film uh, that was dealing with Abraham Lincoln's assassination. And as they were putting everything together, there was a profound moment of sadness that even brought them to tears together because they realized that in the plot and in the storyline, as they were producing it, they knew what was coming. They knew Lincoln was about to die and they couldn't do anything about it. Uh, Ken Burns, as the producer, had full control over the film's production, but he was helpless to save Lincoln in that story that he was creating. He was bound by history and fact, and he was deeply moved, he said. This is a moment in Mark's gospel when you read it and you think, if, if somebody would have just (laughs) done something, anything, to stop what's taking place. Well, Pilate, the Roman governor, could have done something. He He was really the only person on the scene in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, who could have stopped what was taking place. But he didn't. Pilate was bound also. By something else. Pilate with all his power. And all his influence. Wasn't free. To do what was right. Freedom is. I think you would agree. Freedom is a basic desire. Of every person. Freedom is a big deal. To Americans. Very important to Americans. 
But very few people I've found are free. Even in a democracy like ours, a society, a free society like ours, very few people are truly free. Some people seek freedom by avoiding authority, right? By, by avoiding anything and anyone and any group and any obligation that feels constraining to them. Okay. Some people just, they avoid commitments in order to try and maintain a sense of personal freedom. For some folks, it's the opposite. They try, they try and gain freedom by dominating people. Right? By winning and overcoming. By taking whatever they want, forcibly and persistently. So some people, they try and achieve their freedom by, by avoiding things in life and avoiding people. And, and other people try and attain freedom by taking things by force and by dominating others. But the Bible shows that most paths of freedom are in reality signs of bondage. For most of us, our approach to gaining personal freedom, whether it's in a relationship or in a job, some type of a commitment. Our approach to freedom actually reveals that we're in bondage. Actually, the Bible indicates again and again that surrender is the only true path to freedom, to real freedom. The way to get there is by surrendering yourself. So today we're going to discuss the path of slavery, the path of freedom, and then we'll talk about the path of surrender. So the path of slavery is a road that most people don't think they're actually on. We think we're free because we can walk around and eat what we want and have the friends that we want and drive where we wish to drive. So nobody thinks they're on the path of slavery. But almost everybody in Mark chapter 15, the beginning of Mark chapter 15, is enslaved to something. Take a look. Think about it. The Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, they're bound. They are enslaved to, the text tells us, envy. Jesus has captured the hearts of the Jewish people. They don't have the hearts of the people. And so they're blinded by their envy of Jesus. And the envy that they have is so severe that it blinds them to their own injustice. What have they been doing? The religious leaders of Israel, what have they been doing? They concocted an unjust trial in the middle of the night. They received and entertained and agreed with false accusations about Jesus of Nazareth. And then they conjure up this crowd. Let's talk about the crowd. Actually, I should probably call it a mob right? instead of a crowd. This crowd is also bound. They're enslaved to a nationalistic pride, a severe patriotism. These are not the pious people who joyfully welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry on the the donkey when he came into Jerusalem in in Mark chapter 11. This isn't the same. These are not the same people. What God-fearing, well-respectful Jew would hang around a bunch of Gentiles in a Gentile court on the day of Passover. 
This was a group of people that the Sanhedrin basically whipped up throughout the night. These are people who hated Rome. These are the kind of people who thought that the love your neighbor approach of Jesus was just really disappointing. Really weak and pathetic and not the kind of Messiah they had been hoping for. These are the type of people whose love for their country blinded their better judgment. And now they stand on a morning in Jerusalem before Pilate, the governor of Judea. Now, Pilate is another man who is bound. But Pilate is enslaved to self-preservation. He's being a politician. During his time as governor, uh, Judea and all of Israel was plagued by insurrections and uprisings, a lot of rebellious things going on in Palestine throughout the first century. And so Pilate, during his time, uh, had his fair share of revolts and insurrections and rebellions, and he was no lover of the Jewish people. He was there. He was trying to advance his political career. He did not love the Jewish people. Uh, They were a rowdy bunch as far as the Romans were concerned. It was not an easy post for a governor. So he's no big fan of the Jews. He's especially no big fan of the Jewish leaders. And uh, he was known for being shrewd and even brutal. If you read in Luke chapter, uh, in, if you read in Luke's gospel, Pilate was known for being brutal in how he responded to um, Israeli insurrections and rebellions. Now, Pilate wants to release Jesus. He knows that the leaders of the Jews are envious of Jesus. So despite the leaders, he wants to release Jesus. He also knows that Jesus has done nothing wrong, that he's innocent. So Pilate invokes this amnesty tradition. Where every Passover, the Romans would release back to the Jews one of the prisoners. So Jesus would be the perfect candidate. And Pilate says, hey, I'll give you your king. I'll give you your Messiah back. But his plan backfires, right? Because he goes out to the crowd, and the crowd had been coached by the Sanhedrin to demand a radical freedom fighter. The crowd that the Sanhedrin had, had, had conjured up overnight wanted a radical. They wanted a revolutionary. They wanted somebody taken out of prison who was nothing like Jesus, who would fight, who would fight for political freedom from the Roman authorities. And that's apparently who Barabbas was, a well-known freedom fighter, a rebel patriot. So Pilate's plan backfires, and basically to avoid a riot in Jerusalem on the Passover. Think of New York City, Times Square, on New Year's Eve. Okay? Not quite that intense with the number of people, but this is Jerusalem on the day of Passover. And the last thing Pilate wants is a report back to Rome that on such a day, with so many people in Jerusalem, a riot broke out under his watch. So afraid of the political fallout from such an event, Pilate releases a criminal and convicts an innocent man. His self-preservation, his fear, blinding him to the injustice that was taking place right under his own nose. 
A hymn writer a few hundred years ago put it this way. A murderer they save, the prince of life they slay. Such irony. This is like a Shakespeare play, isn't it? The plot. Almost everybody is a tragic figure. Corrupt priests. A crowd condemns its own king. A governor becomes the governed. The guilty is released as innocent. The innocent is imprisoned as guilty. Everyone's a slave. Everyone's bound by something so that they cannot speak the truth and then they cannot honor the truth and they cannot do what is right. Everybody except for one person, right? The path of freedom evaded everybody but Jesus. Jesus is bound as a prisoner, but he's the only one on the scene who's actually free to do what's right. In verse 2, Pilate asks him, and in in the original language, it's an emphatic statement. Pilate is basically saying in verse 2, you are the king of the Jews. And Jesus simply says, you have said so. In the other gospels, you see that there was a bit more dialogue between Pilate and Jesus. But Mark is the most concise, the, sh- the shortest, the most raw telling of the events of Jesus' life and ministry. And, and the point Mark is trying to make here, what he's relaying is the virtual silence of this man named Jesus. Pilate is staring at and just trying to figure out. I mean, Pilate has seen his share of, of revolutions. He's looking at this guy. He's, I know a rebel when I see one. This is not a rebel. And the text tells us in verse 5 that Pilate is amazed because he's, he's looking at a man who claims to be king but isn't defending his title. Christianity teaches that we're at our best when we surrender. This moment in history, humanity was at its best. When Jesus of Nazareth, instead of defending his title, surrendered. Now, I don't mean giving up. He wasn't giving up. He wasn't submitting himself to fate. Christianity doesn't encourage fatalism. The idea, well, you know, I might as well just give up. Things are going to happen. I have no control over what happens. So I, I guess I'll just let other people have their way. No, no. Christianity teaches that when you surrender to the will of a good and just and sovereign God, You become free. That's when you become a free human being. You know this. You know this principle is true. Think about it. You have to entrust yourself to a good instructor in order to master a discipline or a subject. If you're going to be an expert in your field at some point, whether it was in high school or college or in some type of a seminar, you had to entrust yourself to someone else. You have to entrust yourself to a skilled surgeon. If you're going to get that tumor that's basically killing you out of your body. If you're going to experience the freedom of a healthy long life, you have you have to surrender yourself to somebody. So biblical faith, the faith that the Bible talks about, faith that saves is entrusting yourself in any circumstance, and no matter what the circumstance is, entrusting yourself to your heavenly Father's will. The Apostle Paul would tell Christians, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption 
as sons. Now remember, sons in the Bible means people who inherit, both sons and daughters. The spirit of adoption as sons, Paul said, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. How do you know you're living as a free person? Regardless of the society in which you live, I'm not talking politics and government and all that stuff. How do you know you're living as a free individual? You're free when you want to do what you know is the will of your Father in heaven. When you want to do what you know is God's will, not under compulsion, not out of fear or any obligation, when you want to do what you know He wants, you're a free person. What are, what are some roadblocks to gaining personal freedom? I really want to know what you think from your, from your experience in life and, and your opinions on what you've seen and what you've gone through. What do you think? What are some roadblocks to gaining personal freedom? Possessions. Things that you possess. Possessions bind people. In the back. Yeah. So, a fear of what might happen to you. Fear of the repercussions or consequences. Preventing your, your personal freedom. Okay. Someone else had a hand up over here. Peer pressure. Yeah. Peer pressure is not something I've discovered that stopped in the eighth grade. I think you see uh, some version of peer pressure in pilot. Yeah. Pride. Pride. That is so interesting. Pride enslaves people. Some of the most proud people think that they are the most free. Over here. Control. So a desire to keep control prevents freedom. Is that what you're saying? Okay. A desire for control and maybe a fear of losing control. Yeah. Yeah. A lack of focus. Especially if you can't see what's actually uh, tripping you up and enslaving you. What actually has control over you. Yeah. Distraction just continues to... You remain oblivious or ignorant. Yeah. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Ken Sandy, who, who was the founder of Peacemaker Ministries, he had a saying. He would say, forgiveness sets a prisoner free. And then you discover that you were the prisoner. In the back. Victimization. If you are a victim, yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Tradition. Good. Tradition can be a good thing, but uh, then something happens and tradition can bind you. Yeah. Is there somebody over here? Yeah. Selfishness. Selfishness, self-centeredness. Yes. Maybe one more. Okay, I thought I saw. Oh, okay.
You love God, but there are times when you don't trust Him. And that lack of trust, maybe that lack of faith, is imprisoning. Well said, everybody. Lot, lots of examples, lots of ideas. And, and I think some of you, in different words, touched on this. But from, a, from the Bible's point of view, the biggest roadblock to your freedom is your idolatry. Idolatry is a biblical word. We don't use it a lot. It basically means when something that is good that God has given you and designed for your pleasure and, and, and your well-being becomes so important that it replaces God. Right? Tim Keller says when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, you have an idol. The things that are in your heart that have replaced the place that only your creator deserves. That's idolatry, and that's your biggest roadblock to personal freedom. Pilate loved his career. I haven't talked to Pilate. I haven't psychoanalyzed Pilate or anything like that, but you can see it. He loved his career enough, at least, to protect it by condemning an innocent man to death. Have you ever condemned somebody to death? Maybe in your heart? Well, Pilate did it literally in his actions and through governing. Pirate, Pilate is a very real person, isn't he? Pilate, Pilate's authenticity should be a warning to each of us. So ask yourself this question. What's so important to you that it is blinding you? That it is incapacitating you from doing what is right? From being and thinking Making decisions like a free person. You know, whatever you're seeking, you're thinking that if you seek it and you obtain it, it's going to give you freedom. But in reality, it's just binding you. It's enslaving you. Even the pursuit of freedom itself can be enslaving. Some of you know part of my story when I was young. But I had an ambition to be a success. And, and that, that ambition of a successful life, it promised me freedom from an embarrassing reputation. I just grew up as an embarrassed person. I was embarrassed by who I was, what I thought I was. And the goal, the ambition of being successful, it, it promised to free me from that embarrassment. From that bad reputation, that bad record. But I discovered that what it was really doing was enslaving me. It, it produced in me a self-centered behavior, a selfish behavior that, that blinded me from the needs of the people around me. It actually, it promised to free me, but it enslaved me it, by blinding me to the needs of people. So that I was basically living for myself. Sin, sin is basically entrusting yourself to things that enslave you. It started in the garden when Adam and Eve gave up on their creator and entrusted themselves to the serpent, to his wisdom. And the rest is human history. It was Peter who said, whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Second Peter chapter 2. So just ask yourself, friend, 
what has overcome you? You'll only be free if you surrender yourself. Now, surrender yourself to what, right? The simple answer is, the Sunday school answer is, surrender yourself to a loving, heavenly Father. The path of surrender is the path that Jesus walked. Jesus is not asking you to do anything that he hasn't already done in your place. Jesus' surrender here in this moment, while it sentenced him to death, it brought about our freedom. We can only be truly free because Jesus surrendered himself before Jews and Gentiles. Peter would also say in 1 Peter chapter 2, we read this earlier, Jesus committed no sin. Actually, when Jesus suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges, judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Man, I, I cannot think of many other instances in my life when I felt the most free as when I heard those words, you're cancer free. I've heard that three times now. I don't feel like hearing it a fourth. But that's a wonderful feeling when you hear, hey, you're clean. You're good to go. It's like a burden lifts from you. How have some of you felt when you one day discovered that you were no longer under the control and influence of an oppressive person? Huh? That's the kind of freedom that Jesus offers. Only greater than that, greater than you can imagine. Because there's something you're a slave to, you don't even realize. And that's, that's the problem with sin, is it blinds us to the real problem. You think you're oppressed, you think you're sick, you think you can't be freed. The Bible tells you, you don't, even, you don't even see what the real problem is. The real problem is your guilt before a perfect, holy, righteous God that you can't please on your own. That's why Jesus submits to Pilate here. Because of your guilt, because of my guilt, before a good and perfect God. When the king of the universe, Jesus, surrendered himself to this little peon called Pilate. He was really submitting himself to God the Father. That's really what Jesus is doing here. It was the will of God, according to Isaiah 53, to crush his son. And so Jesus is submitting to the will of a perfect, just, loving, heavenly father. It was the will of God that Jesus should submit to an oppressive regime for you. It was the will of God that Jesus should take on the sins of the world, infecting himself with a cosmic cancer that is uncurable. It was the will of the Father. So Jesus was crushed, and Jesus took on our sickness, and Jesus submitted himself to oppressive people so that a path for your freedom, your freedom from guilt, could be paved. And now through the blood of Jesus and through the surrender of Jesus, your path to freedom is paid. And you can be on that path. You can be a free person if you will just see life this way. 
Maybe you're not a Christian and you've, ever, you've never heard this before. Well, now you're hearing it. Maybe you've been a Christian for years. You could still be living as a slave to the idols of your heart. Jesus was crushed so that a path for freedom could be paid for you, friends. And now faith is that you get to entrust yourself to a good God who died for you. And that's how you will find freedom. It's surrender. It's surrender in faith to a good and sovereign God that frees us. Surrender is the path to true freedom. So let's let go of our desire to control our lives, to control our circumstances, to control the people around us. Let's in faith let go of all of that. Because if you're living that way, friend, you're a slave. I don't care how much money you have. I don't know how successful you are. I don't know how much land you own so that if you sit right in the middle of it, it's like you're the only person in the world. You're a slave. If you cannot let that thing go. So let go of it and entrust yourself to Jesus. Bind yourself to him. The Bible says that's the path to freedom. That's what we learn by listening to a conversation between Pilate and Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed like Pilate was. Amazed to look at a man and listen to a man who will not defend himself. Teach us to see that as not an act of fear, as not an act of cowardice or fatalism. Help us to see that we are not weak and we are not failures if we respond like Jesus did. Thank you that he did respond that way, Father, because we know that again and again we have not. We defend ourselves because we've been enslaved to so much, Father. Forgive us. Thank you that the blood of Jesus Christ covers our idolatry. And I ask that you would help us to walk in freedom as we bind ourselves to our Savior Jesus. In his name, amen.